The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. We are live on this Thursday early afternoon coming off of a storyline-ridden fallout of UFC 287 in Miami. Israel Adesanya regaining the middleweight title with a vicious knockout win. The man he defeated apparently is no longer a middleweight. Jorge Masvidal retired. Gilbert Burns admits he kind of fumbled the bag a little bit, but he is stepping back a little bit with those statements. We have a strange boxing match to talk about. It's just another week in the world of combat sports, but thank you for joining us. No competition this week, but I'm happy to be joined to talk some combat sports with Mr. No Gray Area, the Exhibition King, the co-host of No Bets Barred, the man behind Damn They Were Good, and so much more. I'm sure the takes will be extra spicy let us say hello to Kansas City's Jed Mishu. At least he will be tomorrow. Hello, sir. Kansas City's, hey, Mike. How are we doing, <laughs> fellas? Let's talk about some things. Busy week. Yes, it is a very busy week. So let's just get right into it because obviously you were on the post-fight show following UFC 287, so we kind of had the immediate reaction. And we'll talk about what this all means and what the now former champion had to say earlier today and what his future at least for the short term looks like but Israel Adesanya knocks out Alex Pereira 185 pound champion once again there's a lot of talk in the aftermath trilogy fight probably not going to happen Izzy thinks he kind of did the job Pereira needs to go back to the drawing board get some wins then maybe he'll do it again all of this but Let's just talk about the finish in the fight, Jed. It's been five, six days since it all went down. How do you feel about it now? We, we know how you felt about it right after the fact, but now that time has passed, this UFC 287 hangover continues to linger, maybe more than any other fight card that I can remember in the past year or so. Thoughts on the, the finish, the performance, all of it, now that we've had some time to digest it. I mean, it's still a great finish, a great performance. Um, I have been interested... To, as I watch the kind of narratives unfold afterwards, because uh, I don't know if it's just me, if this didn't resonate as much, but like 
there are a lot of big phrases being thrown out about this. And I, I think it's an incredible performance. Uh, like obviously as he reclaims the title and it looks for all intents and purposes, like we aren't going to be continuing this rivalry for the time being, which I've argued is a good thing, but uh, it just a lot of like over adoration for what happened to, to some extent. Like, and I don't know if I'm just being a turd in the punch bowl or not, but I'm like, Hey, it was a great win. Great performance. Like I'm not here to take anything away from him, but like, I don't, this, I don't, this doesn't feel like something that I'm going to look back on in like 20 years, but like that is a seminal moment in the sports history. And, and I'm hearing a lot of people talk like that. And I was like, I think it's just a, a phenomenal win. And personally for him, you know, one of the defining moments of his career, but uh, that's not the, I don't think that's going to be the knockout of the year though. We'll probably get some consideration. Uh, and I think this is just one of those things that we'll look back on and say, man, that was really cool. It was a great moment, a great performance. Great to see as he get the belt back, uh, but it won't be like this has changed everything. And I've I've seen some of that talk, and that's been very interesting to me to watch that unfold. Yeah, I see a lot of comparisons to the Leon Edwards knockout of Kamara Usman, and I don't think they're all that similar. I, I think the Leon one will be one of those all-time great moments. So that's a Mount Rushmore moment. Like when we talk about 100%. why we love this sport and why the sport is where it is today, it's moments like that. Like nobody saw it coming. This is out of nowhere. On the brink of defeat, boom, kicks him in the face, knockout. Guy who works so long and so hard to get to a title, does all of these things. But we're saying in the whole buildup to this fight, like Adesanya was the favorite in it. Adesanya was the favorite of the fight. We're all saying he's due. Everybody on our site picked Israel Adesanya publicly to win this fight. And yeah, it was a very cool moment. It's a very cool highlight. When Bobo O'Reilly is playing on the loudspeakers before the main card, that knockout is going to be there. And it's going to be there forever. But in terms of like changing and all-star moments, like the elite moments in the history of MMA and the history of the UFC, it's a very cool moment. It's topped... 30 maybe, but it's not like a Mount Rushmore moment like like Leon knocking out Camaro in the fifth round on the brink of defeat. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where I'm disconnected because it feels like people are saying that, and and I just don't think that's it at all. And I don't know entirely where that comes from, like where that feeling for them comes from or where my like, I don't know what you guys are talking about is rooted in because I to me – I'm not surprised that Izzy did this. I, I, we, as you said, we picked him to win. And even if, even if he had gone to to lose that fight, even if Pereira had, you know, not gotten caught there and the body shot had folded Izzy up, I would not have left that fight thinking, well, Izzy just can't beat this man. I've been like, well, he just he got a bit unlucky in the four competitions. But I've seen them fight a bunch. I know that they they can do this to each other, and that's been. My, I've been the most, the loudest proponent of not running this back for our website. And we talked about it on the ranking show this week. And my sort of biggest point of, of contention on this is just like, I know this fight now. I, there will always be new wrinkles and new developments. That's what you get when you have two extremely high level fighters facing off who are evenly matched and have different tools and, and things they can go to. I will, of course, watch them run this back if they do it. I watch the other four, might as well. But 
at the end of that fifth fight, there won't be a resolution. I do, who, regardless of who wins, I won't come out of it thinking he's simply the better guy. I'll just I'll come out of it thinking these guys are still just razor close together. And depending on the day of the week, that's how it'll go. And for me, I'm fine leaving this this rivalry here. We can really call it a rivalry as he does now have a win. I'm fine just being like, hey, this is as good an endpoint as any for this. And let's move on to new business for at least a little while because this that felt like a, a good moment, a great moment. The best highlight of Izzy's career, I, I would argue. And that's all of that's good, but it's not, this isn't transcendent to me. It, it probably is for him because the, it's a cathartic sure. moment, but we are not him. And so seeing it being ascribed as this all time moment has been, which is very interesting because I can't tell if I'm wrong or if everybody is way too caught up in, in, in the now. I'm like, oh, that was just so exciting. And so, because uh, to me, it, it never hit like that. And almost immediately, my reaction was like, dude, sick win, great celebration, cool. Um, like that's that is a big moment for him. And everywhere else I turned, it was like, this is this is it. This is the end all be all. This is the greatest thing that's happened. This year will be defined by this knockout. And I am extremely not confident that the year 2023 is defined by Israel Disney knocking out Alex Pereira. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you bring up. And and I'm not taking anything away from Adesanya. It's a great win. It is a defining moment for him. When Izzy's, if Izzy's retired today, this would be the best moment of his career. This would be the one where he exercised the demons. This is a massive moment for him. But I think at any point in time, if he, if he thing, wins yeah. six more, if he defends his belt six more times, when it's all said and done, this is that moment for him almost assuredly. If you talk to him when he's 50 and looking back on his career and say, what's the best moment? He's going to pick this one because of all the internal built up for him, which I understand. But the disconnect I have is everybody else treating it like that. When this feels much more of an intimate, personal moment of triumph for him than it feels as like, a, like I said, a transcendent moment for the sport writ large or for our fandom. I think the more transcendent moment for Izzy was when he knocked out Robert Whitaker. That was like, this division is is now in his hands. Like that changed everything. Historically, I think that's a much bigger moment. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. The way that fight went, got Whitaker to fight his sort of brawling style. Like he lured him into a brawl and Izzy dropped him in the first and then just colded him in the second. Like I just, that to me is a more history has changed in this sport moment than this win over Alex Pereira, not taking it the way from what happened on Saturday. Cause it was impressive as hell, but transcendent is, is the key word here. Let me ask you a question, Mike, because I've I've seen people come down on both sides of the aisle on this one. Izzy obviously said afterwards that he was playing possum. Do you agree? Have you rewatched it? Do you think he's playing possum, or is that just one of those things that people say because that's how the fight game works? Like, I don't know if I have a good answer for this. Like, I'm not – I will take him at face value that that's what happened, and I can see – through the evidence of it that that could be true but to me it's just like i don't know whether what, what's the truth or not to me like i see semblance of there being fact to that but i don't know if that was to him saying like oh this is this is it this is the time for me to to rope it open play possum not sure if that's the case but as he's getting rib roasted maybe it's not hurting him as much maybe halfway through that flurry he's like all right maybe i will do this now 
You know what I mean? Like I could see that, yeah. but I don't know if this is like, I'm going to put my back against the fence and like, I'm hitting, I'm hitting play. This is the moment where I lure him into a false sense of, of security and then boom, I'm just going to land a right hand and knock him out. I saw this coming from a mile away. So mostly more yes than no, but I'm not a hundred percent on either side, if that makes sense. That's fair. No, and I think I'm there with you. To me, initially when he said it, I just thought it was full, he's full of shit. And I've rewatched it, and I think that there's certainly a kernel of truth there. Um, I do think he was hurt. I don't. I don't think he just started backing up to the fence. This was entirely the plan from Jump Street, a la you know Muhammad Ali. I think he he was a bit compromised, and he started giving ground. But unlike the last time they fought there was a clear plan of attack when he gave ground and it was not to go for the clinches that he did in the re in the, in the first MMA fight, try and clinch and circle off the cage. It was stand ground, fire back and back him off. Um, we saw that earlier in the fight at various points. And I think, I don't think that he was on the brink of being, you know, finished at that point. He still clearly had his eyes up was looking. So I think that there's a bit of both to it. And that, Maybe that's part of what is coloring this is that people are taking it at a much more face value that this is a, you know, Ali Foreman-esque performance of here's this guy who already had three knockouts and now he, through wit and guile, rope-a-dopes him and then gets gets a sensational finish. Maybe that's what's coloring the perspectives here. Uh, and maybe that's why I can't connect in the same way that others are. So we were wondering what the aftermath would be for the now former middleweight champion. Will they do the trilogy? Will they will he stay at 185 for one more and get that big bag of money? Dana White said, nope, he's probably going to 205. Don't quote me on that, but don't be surprised. And Shaheen Alshadi and I were sort of on the same page. You got to do the trilogy unless there's one thing that happens. And that is what happened earlier today or late last night. Alex Pereira announces, <laughs> I'm moving up to 205. I'm doing this. It's not because I can't make the weight, just essentially time for new challenges and moving up to 205. So what was your reaction that less than a week later, he comes out and he makes the decision, I'm going to 205, bye-bye middleweight, at least for now. My initial reaction was to laugh and be like, <laughs> we just were talking all about this and everybody's coming down so firmly on the Pereira side. I'm just like, oh, good. Well, you've all lost now because he's not doing it. Uh, my second is somebody had to have talked to him. Like, I don't it, – it seems very weird for this to be an entirely organic decision on his part to be like, well, I'm not going to do this because very clearly his path back to a title shot, his – the quickest route to a title shot for him is simply to stay at middleweight and and argue and lobby for the trilogy fight in, in MMA and their fifth fight overall, particularly because so many people are already arguing for it. There's a baked-in storyline. There isn't another super clear-cut contender. All of that makes way more sense. And even the way in his quote, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, was, you know, uh, he said something about we'll see how Izzy be behaves because I can always come back if, if I can make weight tomorrow or whatever. He is leaving the door open. This is not a I can't do it. This is – to me, this feels like somebody from the UFC spoke to him and said, we're not going to run this right back. Uh, so your choices are going to be fight a Marvin Vittori, fight a Robert Whitaker, fight one of those guys – uh, next because we are, we're moving on to new business. And if that's the case, and I do think two or five makes total sense for him. Uh, there's just, there's much more 
more row to hoe up there, right? Like the the risks are greater. Uh, certainly, you're moving up a weight class, but the rewards are much greater. And to some extent, the risks are less are, are a little bit limited because if he goes up and Jan Blahovic, you know, tackles him to the floor, well, okay, lose to Jan Blahovic. You know who else did that? Israel Desanya, and he lost the 205. It doesn't ruin his 185 standing to move up weight class and and catch an L or two. But if they are saying, hey, you got to fight Marvin Vittori next, that's a, that's a tough fight. It's a that is a difficult out for him. And if he loses, then all title aspirations are pretty much gone. So to me, my my read on this is that the UFC just point blank told him he's not getting the next one. Uh is he doesn't want to do it. He was pretty clear about that in his post fight interview. They're they're moving on. And so he is going to make the correct career decision for him and move up because if he goes up to two oh five, I doubt he gets a title shot immediately. Um, but He's one win away, right? He goes up and he fights Alexander Rakic or Anthony Smith or, you know, any of those dudes, any of those top five-ish guys and gets a win. I could easily see the UFC throwing him in a light heavyweight title fight very, very quickly. Okay, so I when I saw this news, and you could bring Jed back on the screen here because I, I, I worked this out with myself on heck of a morning, and I was, like, upset with myself from – the post-fight show on Saturday, because me and Shaheen are both standing on the corner with signs screaming, how dare you take this third fight away from us? This is a thing that makes all the sense in the world. Nothing else makes sense for Alex Pereira in his career trajectory right now than to run this one back. It's the biggest fight he can get. And then I realized after this news and kind of talking it out with myself and people asking questions like matchmaking with suggestions that you mentioned, Alexander Rakic, Nikita Krylov, Anthony Smith, Johnny Walker. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm just like, why would he move up to 205 to fight either of those guys when they could figure out a way to do this trilogy fight, which would be massive, which by the way, over a five month span did almost $25 million in box office at MSG and Miami, not to mention the pay-per-view buys and all of that. So here's here's where I landed, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Where I landed was Yuri Prohashka ain't coming back anytime soon. They are, the UFC is worried that his injury, that Prohashka's timeline, he was very, very optimistic, perhaps too optimistic, that he would be able to return sometime maybe in the fall. Perhaps the follow-up appointments were not great, and they Shoulders do are not messy, think, man. Yeah, Shoulders and, are messy. And the UFC is hesitant in even like sprinkling the idea of a Jamal Hill versus Yuri Prohashka fight at this moment because Yuri may not be coming back. So what's the alternatives here? The alternative is we could do Jamal Hill versus Magomed Ankalaev. That is going to do about 36,000 pay-per-view buys. We could do Jamal Hill versus Jan Bohovic. That might do 136,000 pay-per-view buys. Or we can let Alex Pereira heal up a little bit, and we already have promotional material ready to go as the backup plan. If Yeri can't come back, we do Jamal Hill. Uh, we do Jamal Hill versus Alex Pereira. The storyline is there with the Glover stuff. Pereira moves up. If he wins the belt and beats Jamal Hill, guess what we can do next, Jed? We can move Izzy back up. We could do the trilogy fight maybe before the end of the year if all works out. So to me, the biggest thing that this this led to me, and I have no insight to this whatsoever, is 
I think the UFC is worried they're not going to be able to get Yuri Prohashka back this year, and they have no interest in putting Jamal Hill in a title fight with anybody else. But now Alex Pereira has somehow emerged as a potential plan for a fun fight with some actual storyline to it, as opposed to doing Ankalaya for Bohovic, which doesn't seem like a fight fans are clamoring for. You know what I mean? So that's where I landed on. Do you see anything to that? I do think... Uh, I certainly think the end point feels right. I think the idea of doing a third fight between these two at light heavyweight uh, has a big amount of cachet for the for the 205-pound belt for the UFC. So I'm fully on board with that. I would like to say we exist in a world where there's no way Alex Pereira would get a light heavyweight title fight with zero wins in the weight class uh, inside of the UFC coming off of a loss and not just a, a loss, a definitive soul-crushing loss where he got sent to the shadow realm. But that's I can't say that with confidence. This is we all know what we're doing. We all know what this is and it ain't sport. Exactly. Uh that could be possible. I would still put the odds of it at like 25%. It seems it still seems unlikely because I don't think yes, there's a baked in storyline. I don't know or believe that Pereira is really a star uh, in the way that's going to move the needle in any in any regard, and so even with a bit of a storyline there, I just don't I don't think you're getting too much juice for the squeeze here, and that's I think the UFC will will look at all options. That is certainly one they'll consider, and my best guess is they look at it and say, look, the sad reality of this is whatever our next light heavyweight title fight will be, it's not going to be a mover. It's simply not going to move the needle. There is nobody in this weight class that's going to do it, save maybe a Prohashka fight, and that we're going to have to at least wait till the fall, if not till the new year. So I think they're going to end up biting the bullet, and they will do Jamal Hill. Isn't Anthony Smith fighting somebody like soon? John Walker. Yeah. Honestly, it would not at all shock me if Anthony Smith comes here and beats Johnny Walker and they just say, we will do Jamal Hill, Anthony Smith, uh, for all the reasons you kind of pointed out. There's not a big push for Ankalaev or, Bla- or Blahovich to get it. Uh, I know that there's not a huge push for them to run that back, but they the, those two men and Alexander Rakic all, all really need a win before they can really be a, a super sellable main event or even a marginally sellable one anthony smith they like him they give him a lot of opportunities he's a dude who can maybe try and drum up some interest with jamal hill they were supposed to fight until hill got you know shotgunned into a title fight my best guess is that all parties look at the ufc looks at all options comes down and says we're gonna if anthony smith gets past johnny walker which i do think he will we're just going to run Anthony Smith into a title shot with Jamal Hill. He's a perfectly fine stopgap title contender. If he wins the belt, great. That's that's a moment. People are people will be excited for Anthony Smith to have won the belt. If he loses, Jamal Hill's got a little bit more traction under him. Great. And maybe maybe we'll put all three of these fights on the fight card, but we will take Alex Pereira, Jan Blahovich, uh, Magomed Ankalaev and, and Alexander Rakic and we will just throw them all on this same fight card with that inevitable title fight and the winner whoever is the most impressive will get the next title crack and then by the time all of this is settled then hopefully Prohashka will actually be back ready to ready to rumble and we can fire him in against whoever still has the belt at the end of all of this and now for Izzy now the big 
the big talking points off the table, the trilogy's done, at least for right now, if it's going to kind of continue on this road. I mean, look, you have stated your case for, for Drickus Duplessis to get this title shot. I am not really, it is, it is, it could be pretty funny. I just don't think that fight's all that competitive. If we're being honest, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do here. I honestly have no clue. Do you really think after all this, they're just going to be like DDP go or I think he's, I I think he is the, I think he's leader in the clubhouse right now. Uh, is there a wor- not- is there a world where the UFC just says, "Look, International Fight Week, like I love me some Volkanovski and, and Yair. We got Brandon Moreno, Pantoja. Is there a world? And again, this is the UFC who is about to close this big merger, and they want to look good and profitable for the potential stockholders of this new combined public offering between the UFC and WWE. Is there a world where they're like, you know what, Izzy wants to fight in July? Let's just throw him in there with Sean Strickland just for the hell of it. We'll just get him on the card, throw him in there with Sean Strickland. Any world yeah. that happens. No, I, I think that's like less than 5%. If I'm, if I'm apportioning percentages, I think DDP from, I, I thought I was of the opinion that they were going to run back Pereira. I didn't like it. You guys know my stance on immediate rematches. I just generally don't like them in almost any circumstance whatsoever. Uh, though I do tolerate them in trilogy fights, still don't like them. Uh, I thought that that's where they're going to go. The moment I woke up this morning and read that Pereira was like, "I'm out. I'm not. I'm not doing that." Uh, the betting markets, if I were in charge of them, would heavily favor DDP to get the next one because it's it's a three horse race. It's and it's really a two horse race. Sean Strickland is is a 40 to one just nag at the back of the pack. Just, just can't do it. I don't have any belief that he's there. I think it's if Whitaker can convince somebody somehow that because he, he's certainly the biggest name, the most well-known he's got the two losses, but if he can convince him, he's, he's parroting the line. It took Izzy four shots to be Pereira. It'll only take me three, which credit to him. It's a good line. I don't buy it, but it's a good line. If he, <laughs> He can maybe build some momentum there. Uh, he's, I would say, the next one. There is an outside shot for Hamza Chemaev just because Chemaev would, I think, sell the most pay per views. Um, people, mile. yeah, like people. I mean, we did we did a poll on our roundtable, and Chemaev was shockingly ahead, uh, despite the fact that he's you know hasn't done much in the weight class unless we're counting his one hundred and ninety pound fight or. <laughs> the hell was against Kim Holland. <laughs> whatever that dumb fight was uh like it's he's he's probably got a pretty good chance just because in a world where merit has no relevance uh Chemayev is a, is somebody they can sell uh, and somebody who will move the needle i do think though that it's that ddp is it, it will depend a little on the timeline if they're trying to get this for fight week i know ddp that's going to be too early for them but it seems like they've got international fight week lined up. They've got two title fights on that card. I know they're targeting, you know, that they're going to have some more stuff coming up down in August. That sort of syncs with DDP's timeline. And look, they've they got they can sell that fight. DDP is going to continue to say hilariously stupid shit if you put a microphone in front of him and ask him to explain himself. And he's going to That was my favorite interview in months, Mike. I my easily my favorite interview of this entire year because god bless ariel he is trying to pin ddp down and he can't 
I'm not saying I am. I, when did I ever say it? I never said that I was more African than him. I never said they weren't African. I just said that I'm going to be the first guy who was born in Africa and still lives in Africa and breathes African air and is going to bring the belt back to Africa. I'm not saying I'm more African than him, but if you look at our postal codes, who who are you sending mail to in Africa? It's not him. You send it. He said that like seven times and I was dying because he all like immediately before every time is like, he prefaced it. I'm not saying I'm more African than him. I'm just saying he doesn't live in Africa. Uh, is, is that wrong? Am I telling a lie? No, I'm not. It's like, you understand how this could be like maybe a bad look with a white South African man telling this? Like, oh, bringing race in it is just nonsense. Like, okay, but like you recognize how the world works. He's either the world's greatest troll or astonishingly oblivious. Either way is incredibly funny. Uh, and look, that. I know I knew New York Rick has been on the corner uh, and other people have privately that the MMA fan base is not ready for that buildup. And I disagree. I mean, I agree that I agree that they're not ready, but sometimes you got to drag them kicking and screaming into the light. And I want to see it like there. He, he is by far the most heat of any possible opponent for Adesanya is DDP. Uh, sure, certainly not the name recognition that Hamza has or, or whatever, but I think if they announce this fight, I, you're not going to hear one bit of blowback. And I'm like, DDP doesn't deserve it because it's it, one deserve is doesn't matter. And two, why not? He has multiple wins in this weight class over people. The UFC still has ranked, even though we don't uh, necessarily agree with those Derek Brunson, who's still like a top, uh, certainly a top 10 fighter in their rankings, but like a top seven guy or whatever finish wins over him until established names with a story to tell and sell. Like, I think I think he's the leader right now. Uh, I would say Hamzad is number two, and Whitaker is a little bit behind, and he's really got to try and generate some interest uh, by hook or by crook, because I, that's, how I, that's how I see this shaking out right now. I only mentioned Strickland, not because I think, like if they did this fight in September and Strickland came up, that makes no sense. It would have to be fight week and that's it. It's the only way that makes sense, just because of how that was built up last year. If Izzy want, they want to put Izzy on that card. That's that's the only reason why I threw Strickland's name out there, because Hamzat's probably not going to fight on that card. I think that Izzy I just think really they wants Whitaker to fight over Strickland. If they're just going based on date, I think they would offer it to Whitaker first, and Whitaker is not in a position to be like, can't do it, because if he says no, that's, he doesn't. No, get that's, a that's a good point. That's a good point. Like, that's a good yeah. point. So. I'm still not sold I mean, on UDP. Strickland but you are, can get uh, one, but the only, the only way Strickland gets one is if he just is willing to fight short notice and somebody falls out. And I know he is willing to fight that. It's just if the cards are going to have to break. That's why I'm not saying zero, but it's it's like he he's a 40 to 1 nag at the back of the pack. Some things are going to have to really break right for him to come come through. And I think at this moment with Pereira saying he's out, it feels like DDP has has the lead. Oh man, this might happen. And if uh, they go to maybe, I don't know. It's also Who knows? that fight also makes a ton of sense in like a lot of uh, outside of the narrative and the horrific build, which will be hilarious. It, <laughs> I, this was the argument I made, and I don't know if it got cut out of the ranking show or not because we went pretty long, but it was just like 
we've all forgotten it because of what the way Pereira f- unfolded. There was a major backlash against Izzy coming into that fight, a la prime era Anderson Silva, about he's way too cautious. He is he's just coasting over people. He's barely beating Jared Cannonier. I mean, he's never in fa- in fear of losing to Cannonier, but it's it's not the fight you want. And we've all forgotten it because the Pereira fights were obviously magical, but he's going to go back to being exactly the same way. If you put him in there with, against Whitaker again, it's going to be the exact same Whitaker fight. If you put him in there against Vittori or Paulo Costa, like these fights are going to unfold the same way. DDP is, is good. The exact kind of guy who is going to, to make Izzy fun because he is just going to launch himself forward. And Izzy's just going to clang him up. It's going to be incredible theater. It's going to build him up. Like if, if I am here if if my entire goal is I would like to build Israel Adesanya to be the biggest star possible, it's DDP with a bullet. It's the most winnable fight against a guy who he has legitimate, genuine beef with who will sell it. DDP is going to continue to talk. Whether you agree or disagree with him, he will be out there. He will say things. He will feel himself. And is he most likely gets a chance to shut him up emphatically and kind of continue to build and rebuild the aura of invincibility after the Pereira knockout loss. So I think it makes all the sense in the world from just about every angle, particularly with Pereira out of the picture. Well, we might see a fight poster and you're going to do a nice little victory lap because you called this from the beginning. This is the the corner you've been standing on for a while. So I'm sure we'll get more information on this whole situation and where both of these guys go, but... The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Let's talk about the rest of UFC 287. I want to talk about Gilbert Burns first, Jed, because he goes out and beats Jorge Mazadal. This was somewhat competitive, but not really competitive. At the end, we knew how this is all going to play out. But it was the aftermath from Gilbert Burns that had people kind of scratching their heads because Gilbert's usually a pretty straightforward guy. If you follow him on Twitter... Wakes everybody up with a good morning tweet. Go get the day. Kick the day's butt. All that. Then at the post fight, accuses Jorge Mazadal of greasing. Has since apologized for that. Then he said, it's title shot or I'm the backup or release me from my contract. And then does an interview with SiriusXM and said he was bluffing so hard with all of this. And I thought the post fight stuff was a whiff and a half considering the performance wasn't all that great, if we're being honest, against Jorge Mazadal, who clearly had a foot out the door. But 
maybe he gets what he wants in the end and ends up as the backup. I don't know. But five days later, after this win over Mazadal, how does Gilbert Burns' stock look to you right now? I'd like to take this opportunity, Mike, to again reach out to all the fighters of the world with an offer. And it's an offer I've made a couple of times before. The Jed Mashu fighter consulting services are available. My DMs are open. Feel free to slide on into them. I will tell you what to say after fights because all of you appear to be terrible at it. Uh, Izzy, I mean, Izzy should have called out DDP instead of what he did because if he if he did, we wouldn't be having that previous conversation and be like, it's DDP with a bullet. We've got to build. Let's get going. Gilbert Burns did something similar. He just, I don't know what he was doing. I, the idea of being a backup fighter is at least like he may have gotten himself that. So you can't give him a full blown F because Dana at least suggested, sure, we could have him be the backup fighter, which is more than nothing. Uh, maybe not much more than nothing, but it is more than zero. But uh, on the watch party, I know uh, – who were you calling for on the watch party when we were watching this? You were Bilal? Were you pro Bilal? Bilal was in the crowd. In the crowd yeah. wearing a Colby shirt. Do, do Bilal, that. Bilal being in the crowd is not a bad one. I thought and what I had hoped for, particularly the way he started his speech by saying, I'm the guy who will fight the people you don't want. I think that's a great line. I think that's a line to take and build on because he took the Hamza fight when not a lot of other people would. I think he should have followed it up by saying, I'm the guy who fights the people you don't want. There's an, I already fought Hamza. I should have won. I got robbed. I'll fight the other dude. You got another guy coming up that everybody says is the future of this division. I, frankly, Hamza's not in this division anymore, and I'll beat that guy. Shavkar Rachmanov, you and me for a title fight. Let's go. And you do that, you're going to get that fight because the UFC is going to give you the, – the UFC will give whoever's going to call Shavkat out a fight, particularly if they're above Shavkat. And you say for a title fight, well, frankly, you beat Shavkat. You're on a three-fight win streak or – is it two or three at this point? Three now. It would be three. It would, that would be three, right? Yeah. You're on a big no, win streak. Um, yeah, Magni, Neil, and Mazadal, right? Did he beat yeah, Neil? No, uh, no, no, no. He beat Magni. He beat Magni Masvidal, and then it would be Shavkat would be the third. Okay, you're right. You're right. Um, there we go. Because Stephen Thompson was before Hamza. That was, Sha- that was uh, Shavkat to beat Jeff Neal. Yeah. Right? Yes. Correct. So, but you're on a three fight win streak over top five guys in the, in the division. Your one loss is a fight of the year candidate that you have an argument for winning, even if you didn't. Like that's that's a title fight, and you could have earned it with a bullet and and you know staked your claim in a way that can't be taken from you, and theoretically have subverted somebody like Bilal Muhammad, depending on where the UFC goes and if Bilal gets what he wants. So I thought that's what he should have done. Uh, but he could have done anything else other than what he did, which was pretty bad. So I don't, I think Gilbert Burns is at least one fight away. And at this point, maybe two, depending on if Bilal is going to get the Usman fight, that seems like there's at least some traction building towards if Bilal gets that and wins, then Bilal is a thousand percent getting a title fight. If he loses, then that still keeps Burns one win away. So he's, but now he's he is taking the initiative away from himself, right? Like he he no longer controls his own destiny, and that's the biggest part of the mic, right? Like you can say this stuff that you're saying this week and try and backtrack it, but you have a minute and a half to two minutes after a win to control your own destiny in this sport. And that's the only time you have it because you speak it into existence and a 
lot of the damn time it will come true. Maybe you have to speak it into existence multiple times. Michael Chandler had to howl into the microphone every time he was near one. Conor McGregor, I want to fight you. Damn it if he isn't getting that Conor McGregor fight down the line. Gilbert Burns should have spoken to existence a thing that is reasonable, and instead he said something that very obviously was never going to work and then is now has to backtrack immediately, which makes me real like we all know that this wouldn't work. He should have known at the time he he effed up and he knows that he effed up and you can't get that one back. So again, any fighters out there, you got a big fight coming up. You're like, I'm going to win because you're a fighter. You think so. Reach out to me. We'll, we can we can work through it. We'll workshop some ideas. I will give you an exact script to read after you win. So you will make an appropriate call out and do the thing. Because not doing the thing is only hurting your career. And we see it time and time again. And it happens at welterweight. Welterweight is like... The biggest division of the they not doing the they thing. Love they love to it. not do the thing at welterweight. Huge fans. And bantamweight. And bantamweight. Those really, are one, one I, A, one I'm B. trying to think of. I'm trying to think of people who did do the thing recently. Corey Sandhagen did the thing. Corey Sandhagen. Sandhagen did the Cor- thing. That was perfect. Corey Sandhagen nailed it. Absolutely. No notes. Ten out of ten. No <laughs> notes from Corey Sandhagen. That's how you do the thing. Take a lesson, guys. Raul Rosas Jr., Jed. We didn't give Mr. Rosas Jr. and Christian Rodriguez a ton of time on the post-fight show because there's so no, much happening. It was also, thing. yeah, it, but it was like 4 a.m. as well. So obviously he loses to Christian Rodriguez. It's unfortunate that Christian missed weight. I think that kind of hurts the momentum he could have gotten off of this. He's gotten some. You get the Ariel Hawani MMA hour rub. It's always a good thing, but... Missing weight stinks. He missed weight for the contender series fight as well. Hopefully he gets that all figured out, but we've heard different pundits and different media members and, and different experts in the field sort of give their takes on Raul Rosas Jr.'s performance. Obviously a great first round, lost it in rounds two and three. Christian Rodriguez gets the win and now it's a lot of blame going around, different things. Should they have done this? Did they get pushed too fast? Did he do this? Blah, 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 blah. Where are you at now with Raul Rosas Jr. on this Thursday following the 18-year-old's first loss of his career this past Saturday? Dude, same place I've been the whole time. Like, don't hire 18-year-olds. This is what's going to happen every single time. Like, I'm not here to throw dirt on Raul Rosas Jr.'s grave. He's 18 years old and he has talent. Uh, like he, he will probably be a, a part of our lives for a decade or more. It's not guaranteed because we've seen almost every single time the UFC has done this with a super young person and been like, this guy's the future. Where are they now? Like they're they they're still in the sport, or they're still competing, but Chase Hooper is nobody considers him a legitimate title threat at this stage of his career and has suffered so many bad losses that the idea that he ever fights for a title seems extremely suspect. Uh, Sage Northcutt is in one making good money, but no one thinks he's a top 25 dude in the weight class or ever will be. Like, it's they just you can't do development, isn't linear in any sport, and certainly not in this one. People grow and change at different rates, and some of them don't ever grow at all. It's the same when people used to be like, dude, we just give that guy six months sprawl training, and Alex Prayer is going to be a monster. 
He might never learn how to wrestle. There are some people just can't get certain parts of the game. And that's why I have said we should, you shouldn't have hired the 18 year old and oddly salient. Um, Sean O'Malley's not a dummy, right? And I'm going to quote him here. I pulled it up because I wanted to make sure I had it right. Sean O'Malley's not a dummy. I don't agree with a lot of things that he says or a lot of his view towards life in some respects, but he had a he, he spoke about uh, Raul Rosas Jr. And here's the quote. Uh, There's definitely guys in the division he can go out there and beat, but I don't, I don't even think he needs to go out there and get a win. He needs to go out there and get better. Two years. Take two years off, lift, grind just get good don't fight for a couple of years get good effing improve everywhere come back when you're 20 years old that's like unbelievably good advice that's exactly correct because yeah you can find people that he can beat like that's sort of the nature of this promotion and game but that's not going to be improvement improvement's going to happen in the gym it's not really going to happen in the cage and the cage, particularly at this point of his career, is likely to instill bad habits in him, ruin his mentality, which is super bad. Like, just he just needs to get out and get better. And the truth is, he is never going to be a world champion anyway. I said it before, I said it before this fight and this loss. Yeah, he looks like he's got talent, but when I watch him compete, there is nothing that to me that's like, yeah, I remember watching John Jones when he was 20 and being like, okay. That dude's holding a belt one day. That's not Raul Rosa Jr. isn't that kind of a guy. He's just a young guy who had some success early, and the UFC has picked him up. And they are not going to coddle you or prepare you for the real world in this way. And that is going to be a major detriment to your long-term career prospects. Because if you can't be Christian Rodriguez, who's a good prospect, a very solid prospect, but that fight, his performance losing to Christian Rodriguez, you just shouldn't be here right now. You need to simply go and get better and revisit when you're 20. You still will have three years to be the youngest champion of all time if you just come back in two of them. You got time here. There is no need to rush a career. It never works out for anyone. So I said this after the contender series fight. Cause he looked really good and he beat a, he beat a pretty good guy. Mondo Gutierrez is a damn good fighter. Yeah, and he can be good put, fighters. Yeah. He, he put the boots to him. And the one thing that has just angered me about the contender series over the last couple of years, one, there's two things. One is that too many of these guys are getting contracts. All you, we get this whole speech after she the first week of the show. Be Joe Pfeiffer, be Joe Pfeiffer. If you ain't Joe Pfeiffer, you're not getting a contract. Like if you don't come in like that guy, you're not getting a contract. And then every single person who won a fight that didn't miss weight got a freaking contract last year. And Raul Rosa Jr. had one of the start to finish more impressive performances, the more memorable performances of the season, mostly because they built it up. They built it up and they did everything and, and they put them over. But I said, and this is the other thing that annoys me, they're not giving the developmental deals anymore. Like they're calling the developmental deals, come back and have another fight for us. Like, what is the point of that? Will I remember when William Knight got a developmental deal after his first contender series win? He loved the developmental deal. That's like his favorite. That was that meant more to him than getting an actual contract because he could fight as often as he wanted. He could learn as many lessons as he possibly could on the regional scene. And as long as they were affiliated in some way with the UFC or the UFC approved him fighting, he could fight every weekend if he wanted to. So he loved the developmental deal. Having said that, we're not getting any of those anymore. And Raul Rosa Jr. could have 
gotten so much from a developmental deal, like fighting for Fury or fighting for LFA or fighting for CFFC or CES or, you know, any of these other organizations, like it's not just getting wins, it's developing experience. Like Raul Rocha Jr. fighting for an LFA Bantamweight title in a year, having a five round fight and having that kind of experience, like you can't put a price tag on that. You can't. At 19, 20 years old, you're getting five round fights, LFA, UFC fight pass, like getting all this big push. And and believe me, when that kid gets a fight on in an LFA card, everyone's going to be watching it. We're going to be writing it up. We're going to be covering it. So will every other website. So I don't understand why, one, the developmental deal isn't a thing. And two, why Raul, like you could just keep him under contract and then just developmental deal. And then he could have like six, seven, eight fights on the regional scene, then get his UFC opportunity. I just don't understand it. Now, so I guess my point to all of this is now, Jed, can the UFC pivot here? Can they come out and just be like, because Dana was asked about it and he goes, look, he learned, a, he's going to have to go back to the drawing board. He's got some growing to do with all that stuff. And, you know, that's what you're supposed to say. Should there be some internal dialogue right now? Well, look, gave this kid a shot, looked good against, the, against Jay Perrin, loses to Christian Rodriguez. But if we're going to push this kid to be a star, we got to take our foot off the gas here. We can't just be bringing in like two and O Bantamweights for this kid to cupcake. We need to like give him some actual experience. So can the UFC just go back and just be like, look, we're going to give this kid fights on Titan FC, CES, CFFC, LFA is, or is it too late to do that now? Like, can they go back and do that now? Or is it too late? Is the ship already sailed on this idea? Um, it's kind of too late, but they can. So they're not going to do it next. His next fight's going to be in the UFC. They're going to give him somebody, and they're probably going to give him somebody a, a soft hand, right? They're going to give him another contender series guy. They're going to give him some guy who theoretically can beat. And if he does, then we're we're just back at it. You know, we'll, we'll return right. If he loses, then maybe they think, okay, we need to send him down for a little more seasoning. But it's the problem with elevating somebody like this of – of doing this dance, it is. it looks a lot worse if you send him down. The optics of it are really bad. If you're just like, hey, we called you up to the big leagues too soon, kid. Go on back down. What will, what will that do to his mentality? How will that approach him? That's None of that's good for prospect development. And on the one hand, that's not really the UFC's job. Like They aren't a prospect developing company. They poach talent. So that's also... Partly why I'm like, I don't really know why you guys hide this kid in the first place. Like, you can sign him whenever. Signing him at 18 gives you a headline for a day or, you know, for a year. But even that, hey, he's 18, 18 year old Raul Rosas Jr., literally lasts for one year. After that, it's no more. And as that builds, it's it loses the same cachet. So I never really understood the the drive to get him moving forward because you could look and see that his game has flaws and needs development. And they could have said, like you said, Hey, we'll keep you to a contract, but we have all these other promotions that currently fight on fight pass. So we have deals with, why don't you go fight for them? You know, why don't you fight for, for CES? Why don't you fight for uh, Alaska fighting championships or whatever? And let's, let's work this way and let you get the seasoning. And so I think theoretically they could. I think the optics of it are terrible, and so they won't. Instead, he'll just be here. They'll give him the softest hand they can. If he's able to elevate, uh, then they will. it will be a win for them in some ways, and he'll hang around. And if not, 
they will have given a pretty big push to someone who won't ultimately be a factor and will probably exit the UFC in short order, uh, maybe to sign somewhere else and and use the name recognition he's built to broker a better deal with Bellator or one or whoever he can get. So it just feels like we fumbled the bag from pillar to post here. Uh, and it's why I would never sign an 18 year old just ever, 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 ever. It doesn't seem at all worth it. I know hindsight is what it is. Cause you know, had Raul Rosas jr. I've seen this before. <laughs> just steamroll Christian Rodriguez and tapped him in the first, like we may not be having this conversation right now, but we wouldn't, it didn't, well, that didn't happen. It. We'd still be having it because I'd still be saying, I, he's 18. You can't trust this kid at all. There's no reason to. So he's 18, and it's not a knock on him. It's an indictment of 18-year-olds because I was 18 once, Mike. I was an idiot, and I was, I venture to say I was smarter than most 18-year-olds, and I was still a total moron, and I didn't know shit because that's how the world works. You develop experience over time and and hardship, and that's he's 18. Like You just... You have no idea what you're getting with someone like that. He could wake up tomorrow and have been like, I don't really want to fight anymore. And then it's all for nothing. So there's just no need or reason to have done this. And hopefully he will take a lesson and learn the right, learn the right one here. And maybe it'll all come out in the wash, but I don't think you're optimizing anything the way that this has been handled. Be curious to hear what he has to say about it next. But if he does an interview or anything like that about his reaction to it, maybe it humbled him up a little bit because he was saying he's going to go out there and steamroll out Jermaine Sterling right now. And yeah, yeah it's always I think, uh, hilariously insane. Yeah. Well, lessons learned and hopefully you take something away with this. Anything else you want to add before we move on? The biggest thing I will say to reinforce the point, think about Robbie Lawler's title run. Robbie Lawler was still older than Raul Rosas Jr. and vastly more talented when people were calling him the next welterweight guy. He was going to take over that Militich Hughes lineage as the welterweight champion. And Robbie Lawler couldn't do it at that at the, you know, age of 24 or whatever it was. And he had a long and winding career with multiple setbacks development, jumping organizations and weight classes, and finally was able to put it all together when he was in his 30s and and make the run that he became now the most famous for. You cannot expect an 18-year-old kid to be John Jones. Robbie Lawler is a much better aspirational target, and Robbie Lawler was still a better, more talented fighter and athlete than Raul Rosas Jr. was, and it took him that long. For the love of God, forevermore, let's just pump the brakes. We don't have to pretend that everybody is going to be a 22-year-old prodigy phenom, world-defining athlete. We can just let people develop because that's how you're going to get the best fighters and the best overall product over time is by not shoving people as hard as you can and seeing if they can maybe keep their head above water. Teach them all to swim first. Well said. Let's transition. Speaking of young athletes, maybe speaking out of turn about winning world championships, Jake Paul has his next fight. He is fighting Nate Diaz. August 5th, Dallas, Texas, Mark Cuban land. 
this is happening and it kind of came out of nowhere because there was talks about Logan Paul and Nate Diaz and is Jake going to go fight Tommy Fury again? All of this stuff. And then Ariel Hawani, 10 minutes before the MMA hour yesterday, boom, this is happening. August 5th, Dallas, Texas. Your reaction to this, Jed? Was this the fight to make over the Tommy Fury rematch? What do you think? So we did a reaction pod yesterday uh, and... I think this is we, we debated that very topic and I think that this is this is perfect. Uh you could knock Jake Paul for a lot of things. I certainly have, and I will certainly continue to do so. I am of the opinion that he has handled his career perfectly. I have ten out of ten zero notes. He could not have managed his fight career better than he has done so. Every step up of competition, every every new opponent has made sense in one way or another, has brought something different and new to the table. And in Nate Diaz, he is finally getting another A-side. He has uh, the Tommy Fury loss. You could run that rematch right back, but in the post-fight show or the aftermath of that, I said, I don't think you do that because I don't know that this gets better for you. Uh, I wouldn't discount his chances to win an immediate rematch, but he didn't lose that rematch because he got caught. He lost. He got caught in a beating. Like he he lost because Tommy Fury was a, a better boxer and better prepared for that fight. Tommy Fury is not a great boxer, but he had a jab and he's young and athletic enough. And he comes obviously from a a school of learning that is exceptionally good at this sport. And that was too much for Jake Paul to overcome. It's not a knock on Jake Paul. He's been professionally boxing for like two and a half years. Like he's he has exceeded anyone's expectations at this point. He ran into a test that he can't beat, and I don't think he could beat it in another six months. He needs to take a little more time, develop a little bit more. And instead, now he gets to do exactly that, and he gets to fight a guy, the first other, his first promotion, promotional match. Nate Diaz draws interest, drives pay-per-view sales. People will tune in to watch Nate Diaz fight me. They'll certainly tune in to watch him fight Jake Paul. That's the first time Jake Paul's had that. Nobody else has really been a proper, you know, co-A side with him. They have been B and C sides and he has carried the heft. So he gets that. It's a fight that is winnable. It's a fight that has more appeal now because of the Tommy Fury loss. Because Damon and I talked about this in the reaction pod. After he beat Anderson Silva, I was like, I have no interest in him fighting Nate Diaz. That's a waste of a fight. He will very clearly beat Nate Diaz. He just beat Anderson Silva. That still holds true. I think he's going to beat Nate Diaz. But he has now lost. We've seen weakness in his game. Nate Diaz for his limitations is going to bring a fight to him. The fight is more compelling now. And most importantly, I think it was now or never. I don't think there was another window for this fight to exist. If he runs back a rematch with Tommy Fury, maybe Nate says, well, you lost two to Tommy Fury. Maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I want to, maybe I'll fight KSI. Who's at least winning, even if they're not, you know, even if it's against whatever that dude's name is, can't foot Joe Fournier. Maybe I'll fight KSI instead. You know, I don't think the fight could have happened except for this point in time. I never really bought the Logan Paul thing. Uh, I would think it would be tremendous booking for Logan Paul to box Nick Diaz on the card, but I don't don't think that will happen from a contract standpoint. But I think the timing is perfect. I think that the biggest thing is they announced this yesterday and were ready to go. They had a trailer, which is a really good trailer, by the way. They have a date. 
and we are about to get four months of a heavy promotional push on this, this thing's going to do very well. This is a great step forward for for Jake Paul and his career, particularly if he's trying to rebound. They can do Tommy Fury next or maybe KSI next. He can do this Nate Diaz fight. Nate can get the big bag of money once, and then per the press release, he can go back to the UFC and move forward from there. So I think this is note perfect from everyone involved. Again, 10 out of 10, no notes. Agreed. And here's the coolest thing about this, Jed. There's no eye rolls with this. Like, and there shouldn't be because we all know, like we all have an expectation and belief what's going to happen here. We're happy for Nate that he's getting the big bag that he left the UFC, did it on his own, did it the way he wanted to left with the win now he gets this massive payday to fight Jake Paul in a fight that he's probably not going to get knocked out in, but he's probably not going to win. And he gets the big bag. And like anything else Nate does outside of that is just, it's cherry on top of the Sunday. Like if Nate wins two rounds, like he is over like Rover in this, in this whole situation. So it's, it's just like, we kind of, as MMA people, we're not relying on Nathan Diaz to be like, save us from this Jake Paul tragedy Nate. We're like, no, go get that bag, man. And like, if you do, okay, like even better, like that, it's, it's, it's just a much different feeling than like the Anderson Silva fight or either the Tyron Woodley fights or the Ben Askren fight. where We're like putting the weight of the world on these guys from the MMA side go out there and beat Jake Paul. But with Nate, we're just like, cool, man. You get a whole big bag of money and we're happy for you. It's a nice feeling being able to talk about this fight in that way, is it not? For sure. Like that, Everything about this is good. There's nothing bad about this. They are going to give a full promotional push. They'll talk a lot. People will be interested. Nate, wins and losses don't matter to Nate and he's been pretty beyond those for a long period of time. If he comes in and just stumbles Jake for a minute, then that's fine. If they go to a draw, then hell, they can run it back and do it again. That'll be great. If it's just a competitive fight and that once they look at the pay-per-view returns, which I'm anticipating will be quite sizable, they might just run it back again, do two if the fight's even, if it's even remotely sellable to run that back and they can both make a big pile of money and then move on with their lives because this isn't Jake. Jake is, is clearly setting up fight. He clearly has a rematch with Tommy at some point in time. And he's got the KSI fight. Those are the big money fights. And then maybe, maybe down the line, he gets Conor McGregor, depending on how that shakes out. That's obviously been the long-term goal. I think it ultimately will happen. Still probably a little bit away. Nate, Nate has doesn't have a lot of other things. You know, Nate is loosely trying to go for Canelo. He mentioned it in the, uh, in the presser. He threw out, Jake Paul's the second biggest star in the sport behind Canelo, which is a bit of a wink, wink. Canelo, we're here. We can do a Conor McGregor or Floyd Mayweather kind of thing if you want to do that, Canelo. I don't ultimately think Canelo will bite, but outside of that, he is. there's nothing else really for Nate in this realm. I mean, he could do fine anywhere, but he'll take this. He'll get his one big bag of money. He might get two, again, depending on how this shakes out. And then I'd, I'd take him at face value. Probably going to go back to the UFC and try and close out that Conor McGregor trilogy. For the longest time, I thought that the Conor McGregor-Nate trilogy would happen outside of the UFC so they can both take the lion's share of the money. But it feels like the momentum for that is kind of going away. Conor seems to want to hang around the UFC for longer, which, again, take that for whatever you want. It that could all be just posturing and tactics. But Nate comes out here, has at least one big pay-per-view uh, 
payday on on boxing, maybe two, and can go back to the UFC and negotiate with them and say, hey, I want X amount of dollars. I will come back. We don't need to talk about me coming back to fight eight times. I'm coming back to fight Connor. We do this for you guys. That thing, especially after my foray into boxing, it's going to sell two million pay-per-view buys. Here's what I want out of that. And I think he gets it. So this is a win for everybody involved. All the way perfect, all the way down the line. Well done. It's a beautiful thing. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. I'm excited. It's very rare that everybody nails it, and they all nailed it here. Perfect. Yep. Completely agree. And the timing is very is perfect for it, and Dallas is a good location for it. Dallas is a good location for it. Everything about it is great. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Speaking of locations... Jed, you're going to be in Kansas City tomorrow, I believe, for UFC sure. Kansas City. And um, I looked at the ticket sales a little earlier, saw some tweets earlier as well. doesn't look like the ticket sales are doing spectacularly for this return to Kansas City. But, I, you know, it's, this is such a weird car, Jed. And I'm, not, and I'm not talking about the actual fights on it, but we mentioned this earlier, the hangover effect from UFC 287. This thing, it's... it's Instead of drinking 10 beers, we drank 100, and we're still feeling it on this Thursday, especially with Pereira announcing the move to 205 and that creates another day or two of debate. This, as far as fight night cards go, and now we're out of the apex, we have a, a great main event. I mean, on paper, Max Holloway versus Arnold Allen, incredible fight. We'll talk about that more. I cannot remember a fight night card with a main event like this flying under the radar as much as this card is. I can't remember. I feel like nobody's talking about this card on a Thursday before. It's very strange. I think it's honestly, the, I may have thought about it. I agree. I think the actual answer to this is it's not that hard. I've had five pay-per-views in five weeks or three pay-per-views in five weeks. It's just a lot. It's, it's a lot of, you need a breath. Honestly, it probably would have been a reasonable thing for them to have taken this week off. Uh, and just kind of said, hey, let's take a reset break. Because again, I mean, we went 280, uh, 280 what, 5, 286, 287, back to back to back, basically. Uh, it's just a whole lot of content to imbibe. And so it's it's a bit off-putting. And this fight card, or Connor and I talked about on No Bets Bard, it's not bad. The main event is spectacular and the rest of the card is acceptable. Um, I would say it's slightly above average for what we're getting for fight night cards. Uh, about right on middle of the road for what I'd expect for a fight night card versus an apex card. If we're categorizing those differently uh, with a sensational main event, but it's just fatigue, man. It's how that's so many pay-per-views, good pay-per-views with good, big marquee matches, things that happened that mattered. I mean, Within the last six weeks, John Jones came back and won the heavyweight title. Leon Edwards beat Kamar Usman again. Do you guys remember when that happened? It feels like a lifetime ago. Oh, BT Dubs, Alexa Grasso is your new women's flyweight champion. And then Pereira comes back. Like, that's just, it's just a lot. 
There's just a lot that has happened in the last five weeks. And so it's, I think everybody kind of was expecting and maybe wanting a bit of a release. And instead we've got this fight card, which should be getting more love. Honestly, if they had swapped it, so it was Pavlovich Blades this week, that would make a lot more sense because no one's going to give two toots about that fight card next weekend. Uh, and this one could have had a little bit more momentum, but it's just sort of how it broke down. Max Holloway versus Arnold Allen, Jed Mishu. This is a tremendous fight. I was a little hesitant in making this fight. Not that I made it myself, but I know a lot of people were talking about this. It's mostly because of what happens if Max Holloway wins this fight. Then Arnold Allen is sort of out of title contention for a little while. And this is not 205. Like, this is not the light heavyweight division where you could lose a fight and then just come back and win another one and, like, you're back in the mix. Arnold loses to Max Holloway. Like, that is a big deal. He is, especially with the Taporias coming up and the Marvzar Vloyevs coming up and the Billy Q's and all these other guys that the UFC seems to be behind. It's very deep division. A loss to Max Holloway is not good. And it scares me in terms of where this division goes because Max has just been knocking off contenders this entire time. That's why we continue to have these Holloway trying to get them one back on Volkanovsky type fights. And still, it could be in a position where these are still the two best 45ers in the world. But I love this fight by itself. If you took all the stakes and the divisional, you know, what's on the line at 145 out of it, and it's just two dudes fighting golly, sign me up for this. I hope they fight for 10 rounds. But what if Max Holloway wins this fight, Jed Mishu? Like, what if he goes out there and just, he is favored to do so. I've seen some lines up, Max Holloway around a minus 200 right now to beat Arnold Allen. What if Max Holloway does Max Holloway things, wins a 49-46 decision against Arnold Allen? What do we do now? It's a catastrophe, um, straight up, this is this is an enormous risk, an enormous reward fight. If Arnold Allen goes out here and gets his W, number one with the bullet, baby. He fights the winner of Volkanovski, Rodriguez, unless Rodriguez wins. Almost assuredly, they'll give Volk an immediate rematch, despite my many protestations about immediate rematches and thinking they are dumb. <laughs> Will for sure happen if if uh, Yair goes out and gets gets the dub. They'll run that back. Uh, and frankly, that's what will happen if Max wins. They are If Max wins, the UFC needs to functionally pray and hope that Yair Rodriguez can upset Alexander Volkanovsky. Because if not, they're holding a big bag of poo of entirely of their own creation. Because if Max wins, he's not. you can never have him fight again. He can never fight for the title again. That alone would have made me essentially tell him, hey, you're going to lightweight. We're just going to fight people lightweight because may or Chan Sung Jung will let you fight the Korean zombie if zombie wants to fight again because you're not knocking off a contender. If you just want to do a legends fight, cool. You're not fighting anybody else in this weight class because there is no upside in it for us. There is no upside in it whatsoever and an enormous risk associated with it. And that's where we're at. If Arnold Allen wins, it's great. If he loses, there's not, and if he loses and Volkanovsky wins, there's nothing left to do. At that point, you at that is the period of time in which we will see. I can't believe I'm about to fucking say this, Mike. Henry Cejudo will move up and challenge Alexander Volkanovsky for the featherweight title. If Arnold Allen loses this weekend and Volk successfully defends his belt, 
and and Henry Cejudo beats Aljamain Sterling or not, even if Aljo wins, they may just say, Aljo, just leave. Let your boy hit the belt. We'll give you a title shot because there's nobody else at 145. And as much as Volkanovski wants to demand a lightweight title fight, it's, uh, that's not going to happen for him right now. If it was going to happen, it would have happened immediately. That was the only case was for him to to pull off the immediate. And I think that's why he lobbied so hard because now once he goes back to 145, floodgates are open at 155. Too many dudes with knocking on the door. Benny Darius beats Charles Oliveira, which I think he will. You got to give that man a title fight. Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje fight again, which seems like we're going to happen. The winner of that has to get a title fight. That's at least two people you are now tucked behind in the lightweight title fight pecking order. You just don't get it, Volk. And so it was now or never, and the UFC did not opt to give it to him now, which I, again, I think was the correct choice. And so he's going to have to fight somebody, and he, it should have been just Arnold Allen after he fights Yair. But now he has got to hope. We got, we all need to collectively hope Arnold wins this weekend. So if not, there's a decent world chance that we're getting Henry Cejudo versus Alexander Volkanovsky in December for the featherweight title. And, buddy, I may just go walk into the ocean if that's the case. <laughs> Even if Ilya Teporia runs over Josh Emmett in June. If he, I mean, if he really makes an enormous statement, maybe, maybe that's good enough. Like, but I mean, it it can't be winning a unanimous. He's got to put him. He got to put him in a box, and, and and then maybe. But I'm not. Even then, I'm not confident because the I'm looking at the UFC rankings right now. They've got him in at five. If Taporia puts him in a box, maybe and Arnold Allen loses, maybe he bumps to four, uh, and so they. I could see it, but it's it's not the, look. There are there are avenues forward, but there's only one uh, that involves Henry Cejudo potentially fighting for a belt in his third weight class, and that's by creating this Max Holloway versus Donald Allen fight. So let's go Triple A, baby! Woo! <laughs> Rest of the main card: Edson Barboza versus Billy Q, Dustin Jacoby, Azamat Mirzakhanov, Iwan Kuchalaba. Versus Tanner Bozer, light heavyweight bow. Tanner looking. Suggest GPT bet of the week. Yeah. Oh, is it? Oh, I can't wait to listen to it. Sure, it's a chat GPT bet of the week. Uh, Pedro Munoz versus Chris Gutierrez. Clay Guida, Jed's second favorite fighter. Signed Stipe Miacic versus Rafa Garcia. We got some good fights. Brandon Royval, Mateus Nicolau just hanging out on the prelims in a rando spot makes no sense to me, but well, there's did, other fights. Did you have the opportunity to put Ian Kutalaba versus Tanner Bozer on the main card. You got to do it. You just, you got to do it. You can't turn that down. Maybe Clay Guida, yeah. Rafa Garcia could take the bump and I'm, we put look, Roy Val uh, Nicolau. Roy Val Nicolau should be the co-main event of this thing. It's the second best fight in the card. And I love Billy Q versus Edson Barbosa. Roy Val Nicolau is very clearly the second best fight in this card. It's not close. Yeah, I mean, the winner could get a freaking title fight. Yeah. Depending on what, yeah. I mean, it is not a close contest on what is the number two. I mean, shit, they're both, they've both got to be top 10 in the UFC's rankings. Uh, I'm sorry. They're both top top five. five. It's four and five. How is this not even the prelim main event? What are we doing? What are we doing? Bill Algio, TJ Brown is getting better service than this? Why? Don't I don't understand? This don't is a understand. notch above. This is a notch above Ed Herman versus Zach Cummings, Jed. 
one notch. This is four above. versus five. This is actually the winner of this should get a title fight. <laughs> How is this is a title eliminator and it's buried in the prelims? What are we doing? Absolute lunacy. I don't understand. Hey, maybe. Hey, look, you're going to be there tomorrow. Make sure, you know, maybe take Sean Shelby to the side. I will a thousand like, percent ask somebody and be like, what the hell are we doing? Do you guys, I thought <laughs> we decided we weren't killing 125 and you're still burying title contender bouts. Like what, are, what's the point and purpose here? Well, they're small. We don't want to put the smalls on television. Mer. <laughs> <laughs> The head just keeps. Like, I don't. I didn't realize that they were both top five in the, in the UFC's. Oh rankings. yeah, because they're they're like top ten in ours, but they're not our top fives. I did not no idea that this is their four versus five, and it's why even have rankings? Like why even have them? I don't understand. I don't understand how this fight is buried on the prelims. I mean, maybe these fighters don't care, and they're like, eh, I get to enjoy the the beautiful nightlife in Kansas City early on a Saturday, but. I don't know. It's just kind of a weird one. Jillian Robertson going on to 115 for this one against Pierre Rodriguez. Daniel Zellweger is back. Second fight in the UFC. So, I mean, there's some stuff here. It's, it should be a fun it's, watch. It's a it's fine just, card, and most of these fights are going to be fun. Um, yeah. I'm unclear why Zach Cummings versus Ed Herman is happening, like, just at all. Double, double retirement uh, fight, maybe? God willing. Like this should that should be the main event of a Midwest smoke like smoker show. Like it's just, hey, these two dudes once fought in the UFC and were okay. Like, what are we doing? Also, Zach Cummings, a light heavyweight. This has got to be his light heavyweight debut, right? I don't. Maybe he hasn't fought in a long time. So I know, but he was like a welterweight in the UFC. Well, he fought 80, eighty-five was his last. I mean, yeah, he he went up to middleweight for a bunch, but like, that's just a big gap. <laughs> Yeah, he fought Ponzi scheme. And the, in a Rumble Johnson kind of move from welterweight up to 205. He was the MFC light heavyweight champion. Oh, I'm sorry. He lost to Ryan Jimmo for the MFC light heavyweight championship in 2011. So not his uh not his first foray to the weight class, but I don't know. That that fight uh doesn't need to be here. But other than that, the rest of them are all mostly fine. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, a couple news and notes before we get out of here. Uh, Jed, UFC 289 has a location. Vancouver, Canada. It's going to happen June 10th. And the main if event... Only it had a main, I say, if only it had a main event. <laughs> uh, the main event for the women's bantamweight title. Where, look, you've talked a lot about this division. What, 13 total fights in the division last year, right? 13? Look this, I looked this up. Everybody, there were in fact 13 women's bantamweight fights in the UFC last year. If you include, I think there were three or maybe four women featherweight fights. Uh, so if you're just doing women's heavyweight, we uh, we had less than 20 total. Um, good good numbers. One one a month basically is what we're looking at for bantamweight fights. This is ours. Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena three will be the main event of this card and. You know, we talked about this on Heck of Morning a couple weeks ago. Like, what is going to headline this card? And this just kind of was the process of elimination. Like, I, you could have done a Rini Aldana here, but like, might as well just end the rivalry, I guess, at this point. Cause like, it doesn't matter. I was pretty sure, I was pretty sure Amanda ended the rivalry when she beat Juliana Pena like she owed her money. 
I mean, I, I, the, I feel the I same thought way. the rivalry was done there when she hung a 50-43 on her ass. That felt like the rivalry was complete. But so if you if I you guess. lived in Van, if you lived in Vancouver and you were a fan and this was what you got, how would you react to this? I would not go. I's not even I'm not even trying to be like an ass. I would not spend the money to go attend this event. I this is going to sell like four pay-per-views, man, because I also would not pay unless this gets a lot of help real fast. <laughs> like I I we watched it. We watched the rematch. We saw it. What in the history of her career makes anyone think Juliana Pena is coming with something new and different to the cage? It's just going to be the same fight. She's going to get clubbed around the cage for 25 minutes. She's tougher than a $2 steak. Nunes won't get her out of there, but we know what's happening on this one. And there's no, like, I don't just do Arena Aldana. Just do it. The Mexico's having a moment. Do that fight. May it's at least new at least be new. If you're not going to be compelling, at least be something new. So it's not, I can watch this for a third time. I don't, I don't know. And the rest of this card, man, it's a, it's a tough hang. This is, this is either the UFC is really going to have to pull something out of their hat to make this special because there aren't a ton of more options to juice the card up, or they are just writing this off as one of those pay-per-views that's not going to do anything for them. And they're, they're okay with it and move on. Cause I mean, I know some of these aren't confirmed. It's Wonder Boy versus Michelle Pajera. That's not, not an quite awful fight. Done yet. It's not, not quite done yet. Yeah. Not done, but it's not an awful fight. But is that moving the needle for anyone? No. Uh, Danny Ige, Nate Landwehr. It's probably fun. Is that moving the needle for anyone? No. I like guess just. Miranda Maverick, Jasmine, uh, just vicious. There's, there's, there's going to be a tough hang. It'd be a tough, tough hang. Dude, do this on the ABC card or whatever. They got one of those coming up. Don't they? Charlotte is going to be ABC. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And they're headlining ABC with Jairzinho Rosenstrike versus Jailton Almeida. Huh. All right. Well, a public execution will be live on ABC on May thirteenth. Um, that's fun. I don't. <laughs> this needs help. It, it needs help, Mike. It needs a lot of help for this to be something that we're going to talk about with any kind of excitement. Well, I mean, maybe we could have done Brandon Moreno versus Alexander Pantoja on that card because it's going to happen a month that later. Been, that would have been sick. That would be ideal. But. I don't hate, yeah. But yeah, that fight's happening. International Fight Week doesn't appear like the UFC will be heading to Mexico in 2023. So they give Brandon Moreno his first title defense of this new reign against a longtime rival in Alexander Pantoja. International Fight Week. Your thoughts on the matchmaking, the location, the date, all of it? uh, It's going to be sick. That one I'm very excited for. One, it's it was the obvious match, right? Like I think we sure. all we all knew that one was coming, and no no shocker on it. Uh, Pants has has earned his shot. He's already got two wins over Moreno. No one of them was in the tough house, but still, man's earned his shot. Uh, I will watch Brandon Moreno fight anybody. Dude is super compelling to me. One of my favorite fighters to watch. Uh, I think a lot of people are already showing a lot of love to Pants. Um, I 
I think that fight's going to be insanely competitive. Wouldn't shock me at all uh, if this becomes another rivalry where we get more than you know more than three fights, uh, particularly because apparently the UFC doesn't care about their next flyweight contender since it's on the prelims this weekend or whatever. Uh, but that fight's sick. Look, the Volkanovski Rodriguez fight that that's worth the price of admission. That fight is going to be absolutely insane. Bo Nickel coming back. Like they're doing International Fight Week really well, and it's probably coming at the expense of their return trip to Vancouver, which you know sucks to be you, my Canadian brethren. I'm so sorry for you. Last thing I want to mention: uh, Jed PFL back on Friday, right? PFL back on Friday. Lightweights like that might be right. Lightweights and welterweights getting after it. Yes, it is Friday night. And main event, we have the promotional debut of Which Shane main Burgos. Don't we have two huh? main events or something dumb about the construction? There's a the, bunch of post limbs I'm looking at, apparently, but yeah, one of the, the actual the like the televised main, main event. <sighs> Continue. I am begging. I'm just begging you. Anyone who works in this space, just reach out. There are a lot of people who have core common sense and can solve problems for you. Post limbs are dumb. They're just dumb. Don't do them. The poster theoretically has like Sadabusai, who is your reigning welterweight champion, who's now the main post limb fight. Like I don't, what are you doing? Like, I don't get it. Like, I you want your main card to be main evented by Shane Burgos versus OEM? Thousand percent. That's the correct choice. Make that actually just be the main event then. The last thing that happens that night, not also we have seven other fights after we do this main event. It's just not hard to do this. Like, nobody else does this. Why do you think that is, PFL? Do you think no one else is doing this because you – are smarter than the rest of the world and nobody else has figured out how to do post limbs, but you're going to be the ones. No, they don't do it because it's shitty and stupid. So don't do the stupid thing. Just stick with the herd, man. Just do a regular fight card. I've no idea what the hell is going on here. I don't either. Like I'm even looking at the PFL website. There are no prelims. There are just post limbs. They're inverting the card functionally. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's just so dumb. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to say it. It's so dumb. <laughs> so tune into the PFL this Friday night. You don't want to miss it. You also, get to watch like, less than half the up. actual advertised card. Look, all these fights are not bad fights, honestly. The postland fights have a lot of compelling fights. Um, I've watched the PFL's product, Mike. I know you have as well. <laughs> they don't have enough com- good fights to fill the events that they put on. If you just want to do a five fight main card and that's it, maybe you can add like three prelims in there from, you know, challenger series or whatever they call it. Cool. That's a fine fight card to just, we're just going to do the lightweights and the heavyweights here. Boom. Here's five of them, a couple prelims. And next week you can do the Saudi Busai and the Magomed, Magomed Karamov stuff. Like you could, you don't have to put them all on this one silo. Like I don't have any idea what the hell is going on here at the bare minimum. The optics of it are terrible. 
And I don't even think, I, I think the truth is it's just real dumb. I don't even think this is just, well, it's unfortunate and bad optics. I think it's just really stupid and I hate it as a result. Well, fair enough, Jed, but you'll be in Kansas. Natan Schultz-Stevie so Ray is like a real fight. Like that's a decent fight. Yeah. It's a post, it's a buried post slim. It's not even like the main post. What Roush Monfio is a former champion. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? It's the Cinderella man. He's like the PFL Cinderella kid coming out of nowhere as the alternate and winning the whole damn it, thing. I'm not even kidding. It would make more sense to me if they did an actual inversion and the main, like the the prelim opener was OAM versus Shane Burgos and they built up to a main event that was the shittiest, stupidest card on the fight. That would at least make more sense than whatever monstrosity I'm looking at on topology right now. Like I said, tune in. PFL, 7 p.m. Eastern time, I believe. Uh, Friday I night. don't want to be mean you to other plan. organizations. No, I know. I hear you. I don't want to be a dick to PFL or to Bellator, but like, it's not that hard. It is just simply not. You, are, you make it so much more difficult than it has to be consistently, and I don't understand it. Just get, uh, get one guy, one dude with common sense in the room, and just run everything by him. I'll be that guy. I will take a competitive salary for it. It's like, hey, Jed, we're thinking about doing eight post limbs. Dumb as shit. Don't do it. Next one, Ray. What else you got for me? Smart Cage is going to show punches in miles per hour. Doesn't mean anything to anybody, Ray. Let's not do that. Next one. Fire it well. I will clean your shit up in no time flat. There you go. <laughs> Well, I think that's it. I don't know how how we could do much better than this, but maybe we will. Because next week, uh, we will recap UFC Kansas City. We have a double header of Bellator events coming up next week. We have Bellator 294 oh, and 295. We will have the Liz Carmouche. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I just whoa, looked whoa, at the whoa, PFL whoa. schedule. They're not doing anything until June. They're doing this event and then nothing until June. Just split it up. But take all of the post limbs and do them in two weeks for a different fight card. What is happening, Mike? <laughs> the entire month of May will have no PFL in it, and we're doing this? Somebody. I cannot wait till they come to Atlanta, and I can ask Ray Seffo and be like, hey, Ray, I know this is six weeks old, and no one else is going to care about this, but for me, I got to know what the hell, man. What the hell? No, I, that is blowing my mind looking at their schedule. <laughs> but yeah, the Bellator, I don't know, Liz Carmouche is fighting in Bellator. She's like a top 10 women's flyweight. That's pretty decent. Yeah, it's the main event. A rematch Dude, of mix is obviously fire. Bellator. Danny, Danny Sabs is back Both on Friday. Again, not a thousand percent sure you need to be doing back-to-back -back events, Bellator, but... Given given the context of what PFL just showed me, I'm going to give you a firm golf clap, Bellator, because these cards are okay. All right. Casey, you can hit the music. We end with a golf clap for Bellator. Which doesn't Look, happen. Bellator's had a good year, man. They've mostly they done well. They have. Proud of, Double proud of you week. guys. Yes, the Saturday card's really good. Hatchy makes Rafion Stotts. Friggin' rules Today's and... We'll talk about back it and we're doing that things. next. It's going to be fun. Kyoji versus Ray Borg at a flyweight fight?
still into it. Ray Borg at 125? I don't know if I'm into it. I mean, look, he's not going to make the weight, but that's fun. <laughs> we'll have fun right. regardless. Okay. We'll talk about that next week right here on BTL. Good night, everybody. Love y'all. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible. Eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.